It's 11.30 at night. It's about 48 hours before the podcast goes live. I've just had one of the most content-rich conversations we've had on this podcast ever, and I have absolutely no idea where to start with editing this one. So, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, uh, bear with us. Uh, This is uh, a fantastic conversation you're just about to hear. Enjoy. Hey everybody and welcome to the Sunny 16 podcast. My name's Aid, and you are listening to show number 42, Life, the Universe and Everything. I think that's the answer to, isn't it? Uh, According to one of my favourite authors anyway. Uh, Graham, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing very well, thank you, Aid. I had a very nice day out with you yesterday and of course met with Neil Piper over at the photography show in London, um, not London, in Birmingham, wherever it was. It was in Britain. That narrows down. Your geography's rubbish. Yep, pretty bad, pretty bad. Um, and it was great fun. Apart from the bit where I fell backwards through one of the, um, one of the oh, you destroyed one of the things, didn't you? Save that story because we'll talk about that properly yeah. after the break. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but it was very nice. It was a very relaxing day, and it's great to have with us today somebody who I think has had a slightly less relaxing few days than we've had. Um, it's great to welcome to the show uh, on behalf of. But all the awesome stuff that he does, but I think probably at the moment he's at the forefront of dealing with uh, Ferrania. Dave Bias, welcome to the show. Hello. Hello, everyone. <laughs> uh, thank you for having me. Um, I'm actually really, really glad to be able to take this break and talk to you guys. Oh, all right. Well, I'd leave. I prefer you, prefer you say that at the end of the interview, Dave, rather than the beginning. But let's see we go. So, of course, so, and, and we'll start off. So we'll start then. So um, according to our research, you are a serial entrepreneur. Uh, you are a creative force behind and, and in front of uh, actually a number of, of modern film uh, sales companies. Uh, mm-hmm. You are or have been a promoter of grunge music, uh, a shopkeeper, and if I read your CV right, uh, a designer of knitting patterns. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was a designer for the Knitting Factory. I was the creative director there. The Knitting Factory is an avant-garde jazz club and record label uh, that was in downtown New York uh, that has a kind of semi-legendary status uh for launching the careers of uh, John Zorn and a lot of uh, avant-garde jazz players. Um, By the time I joined, it was three record labels and two clubs, and they were trying to do online streaming when online streaming was the size of a thumbnail. Uh, And, uh, yeah, I was the creative director there for two years before uh, moving on to a, a freelance design business uh but still in the music business yeah ah that that makes a bit more sense given the context of what yeah. i've been reading about you you might want to tweak a couple of the words in that entry on your cv though <laughs> probably yeah i haven't i haven't updated uh, my cv in in a while <laughs> okay so I'll tell you what though i have learned and uh, for absolutely sure um you really uh have i don't know you seem to have found a way to blend you know ongoing creativity with with growing businesses you know sort of left right and center you've been involved in tons of businesses often in startup mode or maybe in recovery mode um you know mm-hmm. we'd like to talk to you a little bit about that we'd like to talk to you a little bit about Ferrania as, uh, as well of course but what is it that draws you to to these business startup or recovery projects 
a a psychotherapist might tell you that I have some sort of savior complex. <laughs> uh, uh, I've always seen it very clearly um, after stumbling into it. You know, basically most of the businesses that I've been involved with, I've I've come at them sideways. You know, I, I've I, it's not like I had a, a clear vision and I raised money and I launched a business and I hired people, yada, yada. Um, it, it's been oftentimes um, a business that I frequented in some way or a service that I, you know, used in some way that that the kind of innate social psychologist in me was was like, you know what? I think that could be done better. Uh, and then an opportunity arose to jump into that business, oftentimes as the number two person, you know, but definitely during the startup phase uh, with someone who's definitely more business minded taking the lead. And with me coming in with my sort of, yeah, I've got a business mind, but I, I also come from a very creative place. So, you know, how this has served me over the years is that, you know, startup businesses are, are difficult, as anyone would tell you, and they require thinking on your feet. They require solving problems every day uh, and, and trying to solve them in a way that creates forward momentum, you know. And I just I discovered pretty early on that I have, I don't know if it's the right temperament or the right skill set or some of both. Um, I really enjoy that. I really enjoy being there at the at the start, at the ground floor. Uh, you know, despite all of the negative stuff that comes along with that, like rarely getting paid, which you're supposed to be paid, and, and stuff <laughs> like that. Uh, it, you know, it, I get I get value out of it beyond uh, beyond anything else, and. Um, it, it stems in part from this idea that I, I've had since I was young that I really just enjoy learning. Um, I'll give you just a, a very easy example. You know, I, I'm uh, 48, but I do, I do still play video games on occasion. Um, I like learning how to play an individual game, but kind of once I get good enough at it that I know that I could finish the game if I just kept doing these repetitive tasks over and over. I, I tire of it at that point. You know what I mean? I like the idea of learning it, uh, and I learn it quickly, and I absorb a lot. And but then once I'm I'm like good at it, I'm like, okay, what's next? I want to learn I, something else. Is that the same for you with your with the work that you look for? Do you find that you the part of the reason you enjoy the startups is because you enjoy the just chaos and the constant need for solving problems that there is at the onset far more than a business that's a few years down the line where things are more routine and they're steady and then they're ongoing is it is it the chaos of these things that you thrive on it's 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 the taming of that chaos that i strive on yes you know it, i i can operate in a chaotic environment and i can start to put things in place that rein in that chaos in some way and this is uh, all it, it, it's dependent from business to business on 
uh, how much control I'm really given over the situation. Um, sometimes I've worked with people who are willing to let me run with it. Uh, other times I've been put in situations that were more rigid, where I wasn't able to really do a lot of the things that I felt would really help the business as a whole. Um, but yeah, I, I love the idea of being there at the start. I love the idea of solving the problems. I love, um, you know, getting to mold it in some way uh, to a point where other people can come in and and run with these processes that I've helped to create, you know, and 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 then bring their own thing to them and change those processes. You know, so I like the idea of, and I, I really think that with Film Ferrani, I'm going to truly have the full opportunity to do this from start to finish. And that is, you know, I'm here grinding away now, answering emails and doing a lot of different things. I like doing a lot of different things. Over time, we have an idea of, of sort of how my role in the company will change over time. And it'll, uh, you know, it'll, it'll start to focus a lot more on this creative problem solving, but on a grander scale. So this desire to, to improve things, to, to fix things, uh, and, uh, you know, just to, to create order out of chaos. Um, I noticed on your website at the moment that there says there's a link to a, a new project called mfbox.co. And, and I went there and it has the tagline, which I have to say intrigued me because I was looking at this on my phone. So it was all I could see. It had the tagline, 85 megapixel cameras from the 1890s. Um, yeah. What's that all about? Well, during my downtime, uh, after I left Impossible and before um, we launched the Kickstarter for Ferrania, uh, and even somewhat after in, to, in 2015, I, I had some downtime. Uh, I developed this fascination with box cameras. I, I don't know where it came from. Um, part of it is maybe I'm a little too obsessed with eBay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Graham knows part that of it feeling. Is, yeah. You know, part of it was, you know, I would go to these flea markets all the time and I would see these 120 cameras that were, you know, five bucks, you know, and I, when I started, you know, in photography, I used a Hasselblad, uh, the first roll of film I ever shot as a, what I consider, you know, as a photographer and not as just someone carrying a camera, taking a picture. Um, but then I quickly realized I couldn't afford a Hasselblad of my own. So I bought a Holga, you know, good choice. And, I love the Holgas. Yeah. And I loved the Holga. And, uh, you know, many cameras later, uh, you know, I have a little time on my hands. Um, I stumble across these box cameras that just from a graphical point of view, because I am a graphic designer for a big part of my life, I loved the faceplates, you know, all the different faceplates with all the different Art Deco designs. Um, I loved the simplicity of them. You know, they kind of match the Holga in that way. And I love the fact that they take six by nine images, almost all of them, which, you know, are giant files if you scan them. You know, 85 or 86 megapixel files if you scan them, 
you know, at with a, with a a cheap scanner. You know, if you get a better scanner, they're even bigger. And so I was like, okay, I'm gonna buy a couple of these and 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 see how well they work with modern film. You know, just regular Portra and and Ilford films. And I loved it. I loved the process of using it. Um, you know, I'm walking around New York City and I'm like taking pictures with a box camera, which always causes a conversation, which is always nice in New York. Uh, and, you know, just their simplicity and the fact that I feel like they've been overlooked by the toy camera community, especially, and by um, film photographers in general, because they're, you know, a lot of times when you find them, they're moldy and whatever. And, but uh, there's plenty of them out there that are still in excellent condition. Um, if there's a problem with them, they're so easy to fix. You know, sometimes it's just like winding the spring one wind tighter mm. and then hook, hooking it back to the shutter. They're so, they're primitive tools, you know. It's a spring and a trigger and a little disc that, <laughs> you know, flops back and forth in front of a hole and that's how it takes a picture (laughs) do you think part of the reason why they've been left behind a bit is because so many of the kodaks were 620 um and people are put off by that sure i think that's part of it i think a lot of times when they're sold they're sold as decor not as a usable camera or lamps you see, Lamp, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're Oof. converted into clocks or lamps, or you know, Etsy has had a ball uh, damaging damaging any number of uh, box cameras. I felt like, hey, I've got some time on my hands. I've got, you know, I want to do something that's kind of graphical because I really love the graphic aspect of these cameras. Uh, I'm going to do what I can to find a, a list of the ones that I think have, you know, kind of the best features for someone who wants to use them today. You know, so I stuck clear of 620 cameras and 818 cameras. I really only focused on cameras that take 120 film. Uh, I explained as best I could based on my experience or based on research I did, how they work, you know, sort of the, the best way to use them which ones had, you know, advanced features versus the ones that were most simple. You know, my Zeiss Box Tengor uh, has three shutter speeds, three apertures, uh, has a bulb mode. You know, it's actually, you know, fairly flexible. Mm -hmm. Uh, Others, you just load a roll of film in and you you hit the shutter and that's, that's the only feature. Can I ask you something? Because um, this is the one of the things I've been looking at your um, box coast stuff, uh, and it's the um, rating system. <laughs> because the lowest rating I think you've got is seven plus, and the yeah. highest rating is twenty point five. And I'd just love to understand the scale that we're working on <laughs> because well, it's not a, I thought is this out of ten? Oh no, wait, this one's twenty point five. I, I tried. I made myself a little grid of like, okay, what's this? What feature set? is available across box cameras, okay? And then I assigned a value, uh, it's arbitrary, I I will admit, uh, to each of those values. Um, And just the way the math worked out was that the lowest rated camera is a seven, which is actually consistent with my philosophy that if it's below a certain degree of usefulness, it's not really useful. 
it has to be have a kind of a minimum usefulness that is, uh, you know, a seven or better. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, if if it if it falls below seven, I, I got bored with it and didn't put it. I mean, this I did that whole website in my spare time. You know, on my dime, so to speak. Uh, and if it if I didn't like the camera more than a seven. I just quit using it and, and threw it away or gave it away or sold it back on eBay. You know? yeah. So it just worked out that way that I try to focus on the cameras that I think are most usable. Uh, and then based on what you're going to pay for them in the market, you know, so a seven camera, you should be able to buy really cheap and you're going to get a kind of a baseline set of features that make it usable, you know, and a 20 camera, you're going to, probably pay more for because it it's collectible uh, or it's got a bunch of features or it's really rare or something like that. Um, so I tried to keep it fair, but it is still arbitrarily my judgment of, <laughs> of you know, hey, it's my site. Well, it is your it is your site. No, it's great. It's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, this is, this is, I get, I've, I've had this, you know sort of i don't know emerging feeling like re, you know re- researching your work for for this conversation you know uh the you know there there is definitely uh, a strong you know a strong sense of of you coming out of it whether it's the the posters for clubs or bands or or whether it's the photography or you know the 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 stories you've written things like that there's always there's a there's a strong creative sense that that comes out of it and uh you know, it's it's a it's a an, an interesting point. Uh, you know, you sort of or you're it. Uh, this is going to sound overly flattering, I'm sure, but it's almost like you're a Renaissance man. You've got a lot of ideas trying to get out of you. Yeah, in fact, I need a team of people at my disposal. <laughs> yeah, don't we all? To, to, yeah, to take my ideas and make them happen because I haven't been able to make a fraction of my ideas happen. And some of the ideas that I really want to spend time working on, like, um, you know, I started writing a short story uh, that I published on Medium, and I got two uh, steps into it, and my life took over, you know, and I haven't had time to pick the story up again. So it's now just kind of hanging there after the second chapter with, you know, I guess if George R. R. Martin can take eight years to write a book, I, I can too. But, you know, I, I'd like to, you know, that's part of uh, a creative outlet for me that, that is um, purely coming out of my head, you know, without any kind of um, uh, ulterior motive. You know, MF Box Co. was started because I actually wanted to sell all these cameras that I had bought to test. <laughs> um it, it turned out I needed to take the e-commerce part away because it was just too much to deal with. Yeah. And the collection of cameras that I had at that point in time is over 100 cameras. I uh, donated to a friend of mine who runs um, a web shop called Brooklyn Film Camera. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I know don't know of what them. He, yeah, I know, I yeah. know of them, yeah. Yeah, they have a, 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 a booth at the Brooklyn Flea, which is a very hip uh, flea market here in in, uh, in Brooklyn, of course. And um, I, I don't know what he's done with it. I don't know what his plans are, uh, but I gave them to him. I'm like, I would rather give them to you than throw them away. If you can figure out a way to sell them, great. Um, 
but I'll just keep MF Box Co. focused as just an informational site. Um, and I have gotten a, peop- a couple people contribute to it, um, but I don't think it gets a whole lot of traffic, you know. And I haven't really made a huge effort because, you know, again, just like with the short story, life got in the way of of pursuing that much further than where it is right now. I can understand that. I, I um it looks like you've been pretty busy over the years. I mean <laughs> so you know if I if I look back you've been you've been a, a record store owner, uh, you've been a freelance mm-hmm. promoter, a writer, mm-hmm. a creative director. And then we start getting into the stuff that you know uh, our listeners will be primarily interested in, i suppose you know the involvement with impossible um so uh how do you go from uh you know being a creative director to suddenly being the vice president of impossible america corp um yeah again i came at it sideways um so in 2007 i met uh, my my girlfriend i mean it's the worst term uh we've lived we're basically husband and wife but we're not married um i met her on match.com because we both said in our profile as like one of the you know instead of like i like to take long walks on a quiet beach (laughs) we both said in both of our profiles almost verbatim it said i like to walk around new york with my sx70 camera (laughs) (laughs) a match made in heaven Uh, yeah i mean we share a brain almost it's it's kind of funny um we make jokes about it all the time i complete sentences and thoughts that she has in her head i say things out of the blue and she's like i was just about to say the same exact you know anyway uh so we met and uh i was a designer she was at the time uh working in uh, um marketing for a company that um, she was also able, she's a voice actor by training. And so it was a marketing company that also allowed her to do some voice acting. And, you know, I was starting to hit a, hit a, hit, hitting a plateau in terms of projects that I could take on as an individual. And I was thinking about the idea of trying to take in some partners and take on some bigger Uh, web building projects Um, she was thinking you know maybe I want to do something else meanwhile we're going out around the city and shooting our SX 70s and then one day um, it occurred to me uh, again partially because of my eBay obsession (laughs) what if what if we bought uh, you know a hundred Sun 660 Polaroid cameras uh, I picked the Sun 660 specifically because it was autofocus. Uh, I could buy a lot of them for very little money. And it, it, it's a rugged little camera, and it uses 600 film. What if we bought 100 of these cameras, and we applied to Polaroid to get a, a wholesale uh, permit? And then we, just here in New York and Brooklyn hired them out to weddings and bar mitzvahs and, you know, quinceañeras and whatever, you know, to put on the table instead of a disposable camera. Wouldn't that be a great idea? That would be cool. Right? So we, 
uh, started down that path. I designed us a logo. Uh, we started buying cameras. And Uh-oh. I sent, and I applied to Polaroid. This would have been in the fall of 2007. Right. Uh, yeah. I, <laughs> I applied to Polaroid to, for a wholesale permit. And, of course, I never heard from them. January rolled around, and by this time I had, uh, I don't know, 60 or so Sun 660 cameras <laughs> piled up, piled up in a corner. I was pricing Halliburton cases, and we were planning about where we would stage them so that we didn't have to like spend an enormous amount of money transporting them to, around the city. Uh, we were like really in the process of writing a business plan. And, you know, January fades away, and, and February 8th, I think it was, 2008, uh, a friend of mine emails me, a friend from Flickr named Sean Dubretti. And he emails me, he's like, did you see this? And he sends me a link to an article in the Boston Globe about Polaroid and how they've stopped production and they're declaring bankruptcy and they're being bought by the Petters Group and, um, and that's it. And, and we were mad. Um, oh, I bet. Yeah. We were, we were, I mean, my girlfriend and I were really mad because I now had 60 cameras stacked in the corner <laughs> for, for a business that would not be able to exist. But more to the point, I was, I, I'm not a Luddite by any stretch of the imagination. You know, I really love technology, but I'm, I'm at that real, that, that weird crux age. I'm 48, right? So as a kid, I had to get up and change the channel on the TV by hand. You know, I couldn't walk more than six feet from our phone because it had a cord on it. You know, I I still, you know, if I needed to add something up, I did it on paper. Or I got into my dad's desk drawer and got his Texas Instruments calculator with the red LEDs and punched it in there. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I'm very aware of where I come from. And so with each new technological development that's come along, I've embraced it in some ways and been skeptical of it in other ways, you know, and um, that had sort of built up to a point where when Polaroid announced they were going to stop making film, I'm like, okay, enough's enough. The digital age does not have to overwrite everything that came before it. And to do so would be short-sighted for the human race. You know, for the digital age to erase all of these things off the map uh, that are analog-based uh, is just wrong. It, it's, it's just wrong. And so I put my foot down. And me and my friend Sean, we created SavePolaroid.com. <laughs> and we were... <laughs> Yeah, I, I like the fact that the um, the sixties Polaroid cameras was in no way a motivation for this <laughs> entirely altruistic effort. Um, yeah, no, that was that was definitely wasn't purely altruistic. However, you know, I, I I had at the same time, regardless of the the sixty Polaroid cameras, I had been connecting with people all over the planet on Flickr in a couple of different Polaroid groups. And what I saw was more and more and more people 
using this film uh, and even better taking the extra pain to scan that picture and post it on Flickr. And I'm like, man, that's a long way to go. You must really love this stuff just as much as I do. And we really developed quite a tight community of people who just really loved this film. Now, granted, we argued about it a lot and everyone had their favorite and whatever. Uh, and everyone wanted to know tips on how to use it once it was expired. And, you know, but it was it was a conversation. It was a great community. And we had watched this community on Flickr grow and grow and grow over the years. And then Polaroid turns around and is like, oh, there's no market. We're getting rid of it. And we're like, wait, no, there is a market. We're right here. We're all gathered together on Flickr. You know, we don't know each other face to face, but, you know, we've developed this community using digital technologies that is uh, enabling your analog technology. And to me, I go, I'm like, oh, that's the magic is, is, you know, using the tools that we have today to connect people who appreciate the, you know, the, these things that the digital age is trying to overwrite. And so by putting our foot down, so to speak, and uh, enlisting a few of our closest friends from the Polaroid groups, we started Save Polaroid. It was a WordPress site. Uh, we tried to do as much as we could to talk about what was going on with people using Polaroid film. We tried to officially, quote unquote, communicate with Polaroid, with Fuji. Uh, and we, we sort of just sent a number of emails out to people that we had discovered over the years who we thought might offer a solution. Uh, one of those companies was Ferrania USA who were still around at that time. I emailed them. I'm like, you know, is this is there a potential that uh, Ferrania could purchase some manufacturing equipment from Polaroid before it's destroyed and, you know, take advantage of this market of hundreds of thousands of people who use this product way more actively. Uh, in other words, are, are deep consumers, you know, like use a lot of it. Um, in order to boost your own business. And it was a little naive about the way film is made, but we felt like, hey, what, what, what do we got to lose? Let's put out as many feelers as we can. Um, Ilford was kind enough to respond. They had basically had tried to purchase the, the uh, positive negative machinery from Polaroid before it was destroyed. Um, to make type 55 film mm -hmm. and um, the cost to unbolt it from the floors in Boston and ship it to England and reinstall it and get it working again, just proved too expensive. Like they just, they couldn't justify the cost. Um, they were at least kind enough to respond to us. Nobody else really did except a man named Florian Cops over in Austria, who'd been running a website called Unsaleable. Unverkäuflich. <laughs> is the is the uh, German. I, you know, please pardon my pronunciation, but it's Unsaleable. Right. We, in, we get foreign things wrong all, every week, so don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, you know, I guess he kind of watched what we were doing with Save Polaroid, and at some point, 
uh, in June of 2008, he had actually went to the factory in Enschede, Holland, met with the guy that ran the place, and that's kind of where the whole idea of the Impossible Project was born, was at this, uh, it was actually a going away party for all the staff of the factory, uh, where Doc was invited and he shows up and uh, he's like, what if we didn't close it down? What if we just uh, pared it down and tried to do something new? And Andre was like, well, that's impossible because all the components that we assembled here in Enskede were all made in Boston or other places in the world. And they just shipped them here and we put them all together. Well, what if we could, you know, this is Doc. What if we could uh, find new suppliers for some of this stuff? What, you know, can we synthesize some of these things ourselves? What kind of equipment, you know? They talked about it, and, you know, Andre Bozeman, who was the other co-founder, um, basically came back to him and said, okay, if you give us a year and you can raise us a little bit of money, we can do R&D, and we can figure out if it's possible or not. So, in, in essence, when the Impossible Project was started, the name of the company was not tongue-in-cheek at all. <laughs> No, it was it was true. It was the true name of the company, because at that point in time, they had no idea if a year later we could make something that would work in a Polaroid camera or not. Um, they you know, we spent that first year selling every pack of Polaroid film on the planet Earth that we could dig up. We put it in our warehouse and 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 uh, sold it. Um, meanwhile, we opened a shop in New York. You know, we uh, started to grow a little bit and brought everyone along for the ride. And you know, the first, as everyone knows, the first batches of Impossible film were, um, well, you know, <laughs> challenging. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Let's let's go with challenging. Uh, crap's um, quite a good word. That gets I, I could not banned. think of a. I, <laughs> I couldn't think of a non-profanity, honestly, <laughs> um, to describe them. Uh, that must have been for somebody like yourself who had been a fairly regular and avid shooter of Polaroid, and to be plugged into a community of people who were avid shooters of Polaroid. That must have been hard to get to go. Oh, we've got this replacement film. Oh, oh, no. right. Well, it, it, yeah, it, it was hard. But during that first year, when we're selling off the last of the Polaroid film, I'm also learning an incredible amount about just how difficult it is to make and all the different steps and all the different layers. And, you know, I had some great conversations with Andre in those early days about minutiae about the film that uh, the genius Edwin Land and his team took years to figure out uh, that we had to figure out a solution for in, in weeks or months. Um, and it, it really made it very clear to me in a way that we were never truly able to convey to the public fully that this was not Polaroid film at all. It was a brand new film that works in old Polaroid cameras. And that might sound like just some semantics or some marketing spin. 
but it, it's in it's in fact the reality. You know, uh, it's the same form factor. It fits in the camera, and it goes through the rollers and does you know roughly the same tricks that the original Polaroid film did. But there's almost nothing in a frame of impossible film that's the same as a frame of Polaroid film. Almost nothing. It's it's a yeah it's it's a it's quite quite a story and it gives me yeah. some you know some insight into you know uh, what what drives you what things you're trying to achieve the things you learn along the way and uh, the, there's a whole yeah. bunch of stuff there so I tell you what uh, let's take a quick break and then let's sure. come back and talk about Ferrania and your current involvement there because I got a feeling there's cool. going to be a whole bunch of stories there too. <laughs> Okay, so I think we're pretty lucky to have Dave as a guest because I think he's had a fairly busy week. How's your week been, Dave? <laughs> uh, I'm laughing because I'm, you know, that's in lieu of crying. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's funny. Uh, I, I've got my my team members in Italy who are doing rocket science every day right um brain surgery if you want to uh, you know complex scientific stuff complex mechanical stuff in order to make film and um you would think that by this point in in the internet's life you could just kind of like open a box of website and pour it in a bowl and put some customers on it and it would work right <laughs> that sounds nice yeah <laughs> yeah uh, maybe add a little sugar if you if you like that um kind of like a bowl of cereal that's my analogy um but it doesn't work that way <clears throat> in fact uh right up until a few weeks ago we were pursuing an entirely different shopping cart system um and then we found out that you know the nature of our company being that we have a warehouse here in the US, a warehouse in Europe, we're selling to a global audience, we have various tax rates to deal with, we have various shipping things to deal with. The the off the shelf solution that we were looking at initially uh, simply wasn't going to work. Uh, and we discovered this a little late in the game, but uh, I found a developer in Chicago who had a, a platform that I actually really do like. And we pushed them very, very hard uh, to get us something ready to start this pre-sale. And the minute we announced it to our Kickstarter backers who had coupons to purchase film at a discount, it crashed. So... Let's just Even pause there for a minute. Well, we'll pause there for a minute while Graham has a little uncomfortable giggle. But you know, for the benefit of our listeners who've been hiding under a rock for the last two weeks or so, uh, what you're talking about, of course, is the launch of the Film Ferrania website, or more specifically, the online shop. Um, right. Which uh, 
blew up the internet a little bit uh, the other day uh, when uh, due to enormous demand for product, which which must be a nice problem to have in some ways, uh, the the newly launched shop suffered some technical difficulties. Yes, uh, what these were the are technical difficulties. Did it just crash? It it, it just got overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, and we had to move uh, the shop over to Amazon Web Services, which is actually better for everybody, to be honest. Uh, it's much more secure. It's scalable. It's all these technical things that I won't go into. But, uh, yeah, the shop is now on Amazon Web Services. And um, the biggest issue, actually, was that when you change the IP address, and these are the numbers that your www.realname.com hide from the public. When you change the IP numbers, basically all the computers in the world have to talk to each other and know, hey, oh, shop.filmferania.it just moved to this new address. Um, tell everybody else, you know, and that, that's called propagation. Um, that's the technical term for that. And the propagation took uh, a good four hours or so. Um, some people saw it almost immediately. Other people in little pockets of the world a day later were still not seeing anything but a blank page. And that was, you know, that was the icing on the cake of that problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, but yeah, it's 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 a problem that you want to have if you're a business. Honestly, I mean, no, it's okay. That's an overstatement. It's not a problem that you want to have. It's a problem that's tough to complain about. That you have so many customers. unless you're a customer with an internet account, of course. <laughs> then it's quite course. easy to complain about it. <laughs> it. It is it is it is very different from the from the company's point of view than it is from the customer's point of view. And as someone who is a customer of other companies uh, and running this company, you know, the shop part of this company, um, I understand all the, the the very negative reaction that we got. I understand the frustration, you know, there's, there's, you know, I've spent the better part of my week answering every single email that's been sent to us myself except the ones in Italian, which I forward to Nicola, my, my partner, um, as thoroughly as I can, you know, to explain the situation. And, um, you know, the, the simple fact is we needed to get something out the door to really start to gauge interest uh, in something concrete, you know, Um it's one thing for everyone to say that they want film. It's another thing entirely for them to come buy it. It's another thing even beyond that to deal with a bunch of problems at the start of the, the launch of the site uh, and then still persevere, wait, be patient, whatever, and place their order. And we had thousands of people do that who, who struggled right along with us and complained, okay, fine. But then, at the end of the day, placed an order, got their place in the queue uh, to, to get film when we start shipping it. And uh, that was fantastic. I mean, like, yeah, it, it was problematic, um, as has been everything with our company so far. Um, 
And we've tried our best to communicate that, warts and all, you know? Uh, we've had lots of delays. We've had lots of issues uh, with the machinery. We've had, you know, we've always had a very, very, very small staff, and we expect that to remain so uh, because we need to stay viable for the long term. And, and so the issues that we ran into with the site were extremely unfortunate. I would rather have not have had to deal with them but you know we have a a, a partner uh, our developers who are, are working on the site who are extremely eager to help us get past these issues uh to grow their company along with our company you know we like this kind of relationship and they've been super responsive i mean i, I when i call about a problem or a question i have the, the owner of the company talks to me you know um, it's kind of old fashioned mm. for a, for a, an e-commerce company to to where I can actually talk to the owner and work through problems. So that's, that's that sounds yeah. good. That sounds good. Um, and do you know what? Um, you know, uh, kudos and my own personal thanks for persevering. I'm very much looking forward to getting my film. Um, but so the, the, this is a good example, though. You know, so to, you know, one of the things I really wanted to to try and get a sense from you about is you know after such uh, a, a long and arduous and challenging journey for for the team at Ferrania whatever their roles in the team how does it feel finally to be shipping product to customers well um, you'll have to ask me that in a couple of weeks when we actually start <laughs> shipping however it's fantastic in in so many ways at the same time and and this is part of what i love about startups okay we've reached a milestone we, we have and it's fantastic and I, I couldn't be more happy and but it, it's basically like you know i climb so far up the hill and then i turn around and i'm like wow what a great view and then i look and i'm like oh there's more hill to climb <laughs> yeah it's gonna be an even better view up there you know so As, I, I have a, a fleeting moment of, of like, wow, I climbed this far, you know, and then I look at my inbox and I'm like, OK, I got more climbing to do. You know, it's it it feels great. And it also turns my attention to what's next, you know, in a very the, real way. As the you're responsible for a lot of the marketing and getting people on board with this, how frustrating was it when um you obviously you got the first test batch and you sent it out to people to try out and give you feedback on and get the results back to you so you could see how it turned out and and share the results to promote this new launch and there was that problem with the first batch of film which resulted in i think all of the photographs being marked um yeah that must have been deeply frustrating well, it, it was, but I was, I was, you know, my experience has um, inured me to that a little bit, protected me from, you know, feeling deep disappointment about that kind of stuff because, you know, you just need to look at the first five batches, six batches of film that Impossible released and mm. think about think about the nightmare uh, customer service uh, issue that was. And, you know, when we got the film back and it was scratched, you know, first thing happened is that Marco apologized to me personally because he had 
chosen that spool specifically to send to me because he was pretty certain it wasn't scratched. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But he cut it himself in the dark uh, on a machine that was built in the 30s uh, that we had already been over and refurbished. But there were these things that you literally couldn't see by eye, that you had Mm. to look at under a microscope to see that when you're running film through them, amplified and caused these scratches across the film. And, you know, at the end of the day, when I looked at the results, of course, there was this moment of disappointment um, akin to the moment when I turned back to the mountain and realized I have farther to climb. (laughs) But, but... Uh, at the same time, I felt like the beauty of the, the film shone through. And, you know, I have to go back to my music business days when I, in explaining how I think about this. So I've heard a lot of music over my years um, in varying stages of, of completeness. You know, I've had friends pass me, this is my four-track demo, you know, what do you think? And I've had to develop a way to uh, see past flaws and, and gauge a product on its inherent merit rather than its technical merit, I, I think is the best way to put it. And when I saw the P30 film with the blotches and the scratches and the you know, that kind of stuff. What I still saw behind a screen of defects was a really beautiful product. And, um, and I'm not just saying that, you know, because of my role. I mean, I, I, I say that as a, someone who's had a lifetime of seeing artistic products in varying stages of production and being able to see past whatever uh, flaws might be in, uh, you know, at that stage. And this was a pre-production batch. It was made by hand. You know, uh, I got it in a, uh, like a, not even a full hundred foot roll, but like, uh, I think it was like, you know, I don't even know. <laughs> I, I got about uh, eight rolls of film out of it, mm. of, of a varying number of frames. And uh, sent, uh, no, I'm sorry, I got 14 rolls out of it. Varying numbers. Some people got 12 frame rolls. Some people got 24 frame rolls. Uh, for my girlfriend, I made her a full 36 frame roll. Smart move. Uh, yeah. And uh, and we shot it, and it came out the way it came out, you know? And it was processed by three different labs. It was scanned by different people, you know? It, it, and yet, through all of that, uh, good and bad, I saw a product that I could get behind, you know, that I really felt had merit. And for me, that's what it's ultimately about. Um, I have to believe in the product before I, I'm a good seller of the product. Uh, can, I ask a, sorry, can I ask you a question? Because I, I wasn't one of the original backers. And so and I know that you guys have been very good about um, keeping your backers updated on what's going on and the problems and the trials and tribulations. But obviously, yep. the original Kickstarter was, was it 2014 or 2013? It was October 2014. 2014. And, yeah. um, and at the time, that Kickstarter was for the Color Slide film. And, um, right. and I know that 
when you were doing the, the around the press at the time, you were talking about the fact that you had been approached by people who wanted you to do this P30 film. But at the time, you were concentrating on the colour because you felt like um, you wanted to be able to supply a film for a, an area of the market that was not well represented. Um, and sure. obviously, things have not worked out as planned. But why, I suppose the short question is, why at this point has the black and white film come out before you've got to the color film? Well, it's, uh, there's a, it's a two part answer. Um, so when we were part of the testing of the coder, uh, the coder can coat up to eight layers of emulsion at a time, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, color reversal film is 16 layers. So it's eight layers passed once and then eight layers on a second pass through the machine. In order to work out every last little kink in this coder, which had been turned off for a number of years, had some a lot of parts that needed to be replaced, et cetera, et cetera, had to be cleaned, uh, all, this, all this stuff. Back uh, in early 2015, the team began preparing to coat color reversal film um as part of that process they knew that they were going to have to work up to the 16 layers so first we'll coat one layer then we'll coat two layers and if we're going to coat two layers we might as well coat black and white film because that way we can at least see that it's making a picture right and then we'll move to eight layers uh of color which is not really a usable material but is good for analysis purposes and then once we know that that works, then we coat the 16-layer color reversal. And at that point in time, we had all the materials that we needed to make color. We still do, actually. Uh, to make uh, one fairly decent-sized batch of color reversal film. Uh, all materials that were at Ferrania when we came in and took over, um, with the exception of a couple of things that we have to purchase, but not a big deal. What was important with the Kickstarter campaign was that we were in danger of losing some equipment that we needed for our future plans, for our long-term plans, for our, you know, sustainability, um, self-containedness uh, plans. And these were the mach machines to make the triacetate base, uh, a lot of the chemical synthesis machinery, which we, you know, gave these all stupid names um the triacetate machines we called trixie which is like the understatement name of the century um all the uh chemical synthesis machines we called them walter after, because our founder nicola baldini loves breaking bad and um that fits yeah and then big boy we just called big boy because uh that was kind of his nickname already uh big boy is the industrial coder and from that, we needed to take uh, parts of the drying tunnel uh, because the drying, the length of the drying tunnel, uh, so as the film comes out of the coder, it has to dry. It has to dry at a specific rate, at a specific temperature, at a specific humidity, and it has to dry through several zones. Each of these zones have a different setting. It's really complicated. The length of that tunnel determines how much film you can make in a given day. 
because the coder can run as fast as the coder can run, but the film has to dry at a certain speed. And so if it can dry 100 meters uh, in a day, that's all you can make. So we wanted to take pieces from the big boy so that we could extend our drying tunnel and thus extend our capacity to make film. And at the time, all these buildings were in danger of being completely demolished. It turns out that they're all gutted now, but they're not completely demolished. They're half standing, half rubble. Um, except Trixie. The building that Trixie is in is untouched. Uh, all the equipment's still in place. And we're actually now trying to just rent the whole building rather than... We've already purchased the equipment inside using the Kickstarter funds. Uh, and we were able to buy this stuff. I think this is um, can't be understated. To build all this machinery that we've salvaged from scratch, new, uh, it can be done. There are places around the world that can manufacture custom manufacturing equipment. Um, however, it's so cost prohibitive, uh, and the market for film is certainly much lower than it was, uh, that you'd be hard-pressed to recover your money for making new uh, film-making equipment. So we needed to purchase this equipment so that we didn't have to make it new in the future. And fortunately, we got to purchase it for its weight in steel. Ooh. So it's like, okay, this machine weighs, you know, 800 kilos. That'll be $800, please, <laughs> or whatever. Um so we were able to buy millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars, really, in of machinery uh, at the new replacement cost uh, for the 300 and some odd thousand dollars that we raised on Kickstarter. And all that stuff went promptly into storage. We set about trying to make some film. Uh, we called upon a partner to make us some black and white emulsion, which we put in the freezer. And then they found asbestos. <laughs> and then it took two months to recover the asbestos. And then the electricity was cut. And then the water was cut. And then we just basically couldn't do anything for most of the rest of 2015. And then 2016 started, and we still were something like 20 meters from the water line. <laughs> they got 20 meters away from us, and it just <laughs> stopped working on it. <laughs> Uh, we still needed about uh, two or three hundred meters of trenching dug to hook us to the power grid. Uh, that took months to take care of. And during all this time, um, we had to keep things afloat somehow. And so we, you know, we communicated as much as we could. We explained the problems as they arose. Um, but basically everything kind of got restarted in September of last year mm -hmm. and at that point we're like okay we coated a first layer it worked fine let's coat a second layer a, a two-layer product um okay the stuff that uh those guys gave us last year is now bad we can't use it so what are we going to do are we going to go back to them and say sorry the stuff you donated to us is bad can we have more or maybe we use this P30 formula that we found uh, in a book during the downtime. Um, Is that true? Did you really find it in a book during a downtime? 
Yeah, yeah. Nicola <laughs> sent me a. Nicola snapped a picture of the of the handwritten formula the day they ran across it. Uh, this was during a period when they were taking all the old Ferrania um, archives, paper archives, books, papers, folders, blueprints, and um, putting them on pallets and shrink wrapping them and putting them in a controlled space so that they wouldn't deteriorate. And during all this, because uh, there was nothing to be done in the, in the LRF because it didn't have power, it didn't have water. Uh, so they spent their time organizing all of our salvage. And part of that was protecting all these paper documents. And someone was like, hey, check, check this out. And it's literally a handwritten formula for P30 uh, that was written in like 1958 or so. We posted a picture of it somewhere on our website. Um, I wonder if there's an updated version of this uh, for the LRF specifically. Because when this formula was written, there was no LRF. They were, there was no research and development building built by 3M. There was the internal research and development department, but it was very different back then. So uh, Marco got on the microfilm machine. Uh, remember those? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he found, sure enough, a uh, essentially the same exact formula, only put into a microfilm version, and with specific instructions on how to produce it on our machines, the machines that we have right now. So the team was like, well, okay, done deal. Let's make that. Yeah. Um, it gives us a chance to synthesize chemistry. Uh, it, it, you know, and it's, it, and it's our product, you know, and it's been made in this building before. So we can minimize the variables that are going to come into play in manufacturing it. So they set about uh, mixing up some emulsions and doing some tests. And then when I was in, when I was there in, uh, December, visiting, I'm standing in a dark room and Nicola gets a call. Hey, we've just coated 30 meters of, of P30 emulsion. And I started crying and it was a very sad scene, you know, I'm, and everyone's looking at me like I'm a weirdo because I'm crying because <laughs> I'm going around and grazie, 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 grazie to everybody. Um, because, you know, it was, that was a, a moment of like, stopping on the cliff and looking at the vista you know what i mean yeah uh it, it was a huge moment for me personally just to hear hey we've coded the first 30 meters of film and of course it was awful <laughs> uh it had all kinds of it had all kinds of problems but uh they took it out the next day and made some pictures with it and and again behind all the defects i could see a beautiful thing there and yeah. so we talked about it a long time more. <laughs> do we really want to do this? Do we really want to put this out? Like, and yeah, why not? Sure. We've been saying for all this time that we're going to, you know, we need to focus on color. Color is the, you know, color reversal is the big hole in the market. And it still is, you know, uh, and it's still a major part of, of our plans for the rest of this year. Um, but we felt that it we need we're we're kind of far enough into the game that putting out p30 
if for no other reason to prove that we can make film. Mm. There and was, also, there was, go ahead. I, I said, and, and also, I'd imagine after all the unforeseen dramas that have happened over the last few years, yeah. a financial yeah. shot in the arm is probably quite a welcome thing. Well, sure. And, you know, it's it, the cost to make this stuff for us right now in the way we're making it, it's, it's very high. It's, it's, it's higher than we ever want it to be. Uh, but, uh, you know, now we can set about reducing that cost over time by scaling up, by, you know, adding some more people, by, you know, releasing it in other formats. You know, we now have a product. We went from having our only product for a long time was our story. And and it, you can't even really call it a product because we weren't selling it to anybody. We were giving it away. Um, but, you know, after all the time, after all the patience that the community has shown us, after all the, our Kickstarter backers, like again and again and again, saying, keep up the good work, guys. We believe in you. We need this. We understand your, your purpose. Take as long as you need. We got a lot of that. You know, for every, like, complaint that uh, comes through, on Facebook or Twitter, there are 10 people saying, just keep plugging away, guys. This is what the, the, the world needs. And that's hugely encouraging. And um, But at, even at that, we still felt like we kind of owed it to everybody to at least show that we're not full of hot air, that we're not just a pipe dream, that we're not a bunch of crazy people uh, trying to do something, you know, tilting at windmills, so to speak, you know? Yeah. Um, that, yeah, we actually can make a film, and here it is, and it's based on this classic cinema formula that Eight and a Half was shot on. It's got some, you know, some bones there, and um, and I actually can't wait till you guys see the new round of uh, sample images from the actual production batch that don't have scratches. <laughs> Well, I tell you what, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to getting my P30 as well. Um, yeah, I think uh, I'm, it, it's it's a really exciting thing. And uh, yeah, the, the, the story is just, I mean, you couldn't make that stuff up, could you really? still have to keep our eyes on the long-term plans we can't get bogged down in the in the day-to-day -day in some respects uh, because the ambition of the company is to be a self-contained unit that can manufacture film regardless of anything regardless of dips in the market regardless of other suppliers of film coming or going uh, you know, we need to be a, a viable base of production. You know, we also want to be a brand and we also want to release gorgeous products. But the really the primary thing is this idea of a viable base of production. Um, without that, there's no film. Period. And, and, and do so, you feel like you're, you're close to achieving that now? Oh, No. Not at all. No, uh, we have uh, a, lo a long way to go before we're at that fully self-contained status. But thanks to our Kickstarter backers in large, uh, and, and really thanks to the Italian government for all the work that they've done to our building, even though it took a long time, 
Um, we're actually a, a little bit further along. If you looked at our business plans and our projections and everything two years ago, um, we're a little bit further along in many ways than we expected to be. Uh, the, the, because the, we I have, mean, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, Dave, but. Um... You saying about the business, but I mean, I suppose the one the one thing where, because of everything that's gone on, and you're not quite where you'd hope to be by this point, and this is very relevant to Kickstarter back, is is the original slide film. I mean, oh, are you course. getting close yeah. with that now? Yes. Um, so, the in terms of the the way the factory works, um, we, we've successfully coded a two layer film. All right. Uh, we're now concerned with, you know, we, we definitely need to make enough of that. We need to get that to a sustainable point so that we can hire a couple new people who can just keep that running. And that way our core team, the ones with the, the most experience, can turn their full attention. We still have two people working on color full time. Uh, and then we need two other people who are now working on P30 full time to go right back into working on color. And because the way coding works and the way the factory works, we can actually make black and white film without interfering with making color film. The only thing that interferes or that causes any kind of bottleneck is in terms of our staff and their attention, you know, whether their attention's on PS30 or on making color. So within the next few weeks, uh, we're putting, we're, we're going to get to a scale in terms of making emulsions, uh, where we can make up a lot of emulsion, which means that Corrado, who's in charge of doing that, can then turn his attention to making color emulsion, right? Because we have now a lot of P30 emulsion in the freezer ready to be coated. And the same with Luisa, who's, who's also a, an emulsion specialist and also a kind of a product specialist. She can turn her attention away from making sure the P30 film is, is perfect to working with the other people working on color to make sure that's perfect. And the good thing is we still have all the materials to make one big batch of color film. To continue making color film after we've delivered all of our rewards to the, our, our Kickstarter backers um, is a little less clear at this point in time because at some point, we're going to run out of the base material that we inherited, um, which is all perfectly good, but there's a finite amount of it. And so we're going to have to buy it from someone. And so far, we haven't found exactly the right place to buy it from uh, because it, it gets really technical and I don't want to go into it. But it, it, there's, we have certain requirements of the base material in order for it to run through our machine properly. And um, so we have two options. We, we can buy it or we can uh, try to get our own triacetate machines, Trixie, uh, up and running faster than we had originally planned. And Nicola is, in fact, working on both of those ideas in tandem. Uh, trying to find a new supplier so that we can continue color production after it starts and also working on ways to get Trixie uh, back in action. Um, the, the best part about it is that if we are able to restore the building that, that all the triacetate machines are in, 
We can make more triacetate than we can coat. So we could actually become a supplier to other small companies who are trying to make film and are having maybe the same problem we're having with finding base material to purchase. So, you know, it, it, you start to get into these very complex branching uh, possibilities, um, but we're still on track to make this one big batch of color reversal film, uh, the Kickstarter batch, so to speak, uh, in June, July. You know, I, I'm, as you probably well know, when we say June, July, we mean July. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know, we'll probably see early results in June and then be able to actually produce it in bulk in July. Uh, and by that time, we're going to have our emulsions production because of the production of P30. We're going to have a lot new of new equipment available to us so that we can make more film. You know, awesome. we're, we're, we're moving from this 10 liter test uh, mixing bowl. Uh, right now we're using the 30 liter mixing bowl. They're just about finished uh, fixing up the 80 liter mixing bowl. And we also have an even bigger one that is taller than a man and requires a forklift to move uh, and is made of solid titanium. See uh, that, and, that for me is, it is as, uh, as good a summary of the whole story as I could possibly think of, you know, yeah. you know the, the, the intricacies that, you know, the, the difficulties and the perseverance, you know, and, and the support from the customer base is, is one thing, but, when you're moving up to a bigger mixing bowl, you're really in business, aren't you? And I think right. what I've, if, yeah. I think I think what I've just heard is that if I if I've understood it correctly, is that you know this year 20, 2017 is is the year that Ferrania brings to market its first high volume product in the P thirty. It delivers the rewards from the original Kickstarter with the first batch of the color reversal film. And mm -hmm. as a business, it's stepping up to something that is far more sustainable. And, and I think those yes. are three really, really exciting things. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, can please. I just ask one more question? So how many people are currently working for Ferrania? Um, okay, so we have our, our founders, Nicola and Marco, who, are, who work as hard as anybody. Uh, we have uh, Corrado and Luisa, who make emulsions. Uh, we have uh, Ezio, who runs the coder. So that's uh, one, two, five. three, four. That's five. We have uh, Beppe, who is um, a mechanic, essentially. Um, works on the machines, works on the building, uh, the pipes, the plumbing, the electrical, all this stuff. Uh, and we have... Um... <laughs> well, you? I, I'm sorry. No, we... we and, oh, and me. Right. So that's seven. Um, and there are a couple people who have actually been in who were on the team in the beginning who have actually come back. Uh, I'm not sure actually which of them are just coming in to kind of help us out for a little while and how many have actually, you know, rejoined the team. Um, it, it's it's. It, it's and oh, I'm sorry. And there's uh, Ivano who's working on the color sensitizers, who is um, really he's technically retired, so he's working for us kind of part time. Um, and then we have uh, a couple of interns 
you know, so it's what nine people. Holy crap! I, I mean, yeah. that that for me is the most amazing thing is that you are essentially trying to rebuild this once giant of the film industry uh, with nine people. <laughs> I mean, uh, that's that's amazing. That is that puts everything into incredible contrast and context. Yeah. It's totally insane. Uh, it, 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 I mean, it's totally insane, and yet the only way it can be done, really. I mean, there's not a choice. Um, you know, there was a brief period of time in, I think, 2013, when Nikola was feeling like, hey, we've got a good business case here. Let's go get an investor and raise a bunch of money so we can do all this. And, you know, hey, Surprise, new film company. Um, that It didn't work that way, you know. And investors, investors, you know, I, I used to say, if we were making an app where you could, like, trade your spare underwear with your neighbor <laughs> via an app, you know, like, I don't know, Drawersy, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> uh, or like, hey, I've got all this underwear sitting in my drawer unused. Why don't I make a buck on that and loan it to my neighbor? Um, if we were making that app without having a single product, without having any kind of idea of a business model to make it work, money would rain from the sky on us. You know, we, we'd, we'd be like, oh, this company's worth, it's a new unicorn. They're worth $10 billion because they figured out how people can trade underwear for free. Uh but when you're making a real product at a factory that has real equipment and, uh, and, and that product is analog film, analog film, you know, finding an investor um, just really wasn't possible at that point in time. And so Nikola learned that really quickly. And he's like, yeah, well, OK, once we make some film and we prove everybody that we can do it and we prove to everybody that we can sell it and that there's a market for it, maybe then we can take on an investor, but how about let's put together a business plan where we don't have to take in an investor. Let's just assume that that's never going to happen. So what does that growth plan look like? Well, that growth plan looks like you need to get as much salvage as you can from the giant film factory. You need to put it in storage and you need to put it online, you know, put it back in use as you can. You know what I mean? as as finances allow and that was our original plan was literally like we got this storage everything's safe it's not going to be destroyed and we don't have to pay millions of dollars to rebuild it all we have to do is pay a couple hundreds of a couple hundred thousand dollars to move it to hire some technicians to get it working again and put it back in operation and um, and if we make some film and we sell some film and we make some profit from that film, then we should be able to do this on our own over a long period of time. Uh, and th the demand that we've seen for the product has certainly changed our idea about the lazy river approach. You know, uh, we certainly need to get things uh, scaled up a little quicker than we were originally planning. Um, because we want to, you know, and because the people out there who've already shown that they want the product also want that. And, you know, if we can do this on our own steam 
uh, great. And, and Nikola is constantly pursuing that as his sort of primary goal. Um, if someone comes up to us and is like, hey, I love, I love you guys. I got a billion dollars because I made an app where you can trade your underwear. Um, if that guy were to walk up to us and be like, I need some film for my Leica. Can I give you a couple hundred thousand dollars to get your factory running? If that guy walks up to the door, we will have a nice dinner with him and give him some good wine. And, you know, we're happy to take in an investor uh, to help speed things along. But uh, the plan is that that doesn't happen. And we have to kind of proceed step by step, problem by problem, solving these things ourselves. And um, like I said, so far, we're kind of ahead of where we thought we were going to be. Uh, if you take the brief window of time that we had to make color film in 2015, uh, if you take that out of the equation, you know, we basically knew, okay, we got these couple of months in 2015 when we can make this huge batch of color reversal film, literally make as much of it as we can and, you know, and put it in the freezer and sell it slowly over the course of the rest of the year. Because we already knew that we had all this work that needed to be done to the building and that that work was going to kind of lock us out. But we, we thought, okay, well, if we got film in the bank, then we can be locked out of the factory for six months and, it, and no one will know the difference because we'll still have film to sell. Maybe we'll run out at some point, but, you know, it won't be such a big deal. But having that window closed on us um, was you know, had to, you know, we had to solve that problem. We had to put a whole new plan into effect and, and it's, it's been difficult for sure, but you know, I, I hate quoting cliches, but you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Well, I, I don't know about you, Graham, but um, I, I <laughs> huge insight there. I mean, the complexity, the, the engineering, the, uh, the challenges, the marketing, the chemistry, the science, um, and all of that with just a a small handful of people. Um, I I'm shocked, stunned, uh, and awed in all all in the best possible way. I think. Uh, so, Dave, you know, it's a, it's a hell of a yarn you spin. Um, but uh, you know, uh, what next over the coming weeks? Uh, well, by the time everyone is hearing this. Um, the shop uh, pre-order period is going to be over. In, in fact, uh, um, when you w after everyone hears this, this podcast about our great effort, they're going to go to our shop and they're going to see it sold out. And and this is um, unfortunate, but w you know we don't want to overpromise. Uh, we want to make sure that we can scale up our production at the right rate. Um, in fact, the scale of our production is going to be critical to us at all times, and uh, we, we can't do it too fast. Also, as everyone experienced over the last few weeks, there are definitely some issues with the shop, and we want to fix those. And so by the time we come back, uh, hopefully around mid-April, uh, there'll be no more pre-order. Uh, we'll have film in warehouses ready to ship to people, and so when the shop comes back, uh, you'll be buying film, not pre-ordering film. And we think that this is the best um, 
it, it's it's just it's the best way forward for us. You know, it's the best way forward for everybody else as well because we don't want to just make everybody struggle through uh, placing a pre-order, waiting two three weeks for the film to show up. We would rather just okay, the the stuff that we had kind of made for this pre-order period is gone now. I mean, uh, thank you for everyone who placed an order because just like that, it it it's gone. So the shop the shop's going to be sold out going to be back very very soon and uh and free of all the headaches that it caused in the first few days do you know what i think i'm pretty prepared to forgive you for that one i think it's an awesome job you and the team are doing um i'm looking forward to getting my p30 i'm looking forward for the opportunity uh, later in the year to buy some color reversal film as well um it's it's been awesome to have you as a guest dave uh I think uh, all three of us have been sitting around here in the bits that I'm going to edit out saying we could talk about this all day and then probably for the rest of the week as well. Um, I hope the listeners have enjoyed it as, as much as I personally enjoyed being part of this conversation. Um, we do, of course, uh, with all our guests, uh, like to give them the opportunity to promote themselves, um, uh, usually by giving uh, some uh, website addresses or et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'm guessing you'd like to steer some people to uh, the Ferrania shop or at least to the Ferrania website. Um, but what about your own personal work? Where would you like people to go see that? Well, uh, I have forever uh, been at DaveBias.org. Um, everyone asks me, how'd you get a dot org? Uh, but I just did. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and I'm very Googleable. Uh, if you Google Dave bias, I, I think I'm the, the whole first page of results. Um, and from my website, you can get to a lot of the, the side projects I've done. You can see a lot of, uh, other stuff that I've done. Um, there's a mfbox.co, of course. Uh, the medium format box camera company, uh, which is not really a company as much as it's just a, a fun little project. And then, of course, what I would what I would suggest to everybody while the shop is closed, uh, while we're busy producing the next round of film to get into warehouses, uh, there's a whole lot to read on our website, and it looks great on phones. You can curl up with a nice glass of wine. You can skip back to the news stories way back in 2014 and read your way forward and understand the story that as it exists because it's all there for the permanent record. Um, and and if I do say so myself, I think it's a good read. <laughs> it's it certainly got some twists and turns. So and we find that yes. uh, so and we find that remind me where we find that www.filmferrania.it okay filmferrania.it that's excellent i hope it's been well documented all this stuff whilst it's been going on because this this will make an awesome book i hope pictures of everything that's been going on have been taken along the way because that that would be an awesome book one day oh you're going to be surprised if you dig back into the site there's a lot of stuff there oh and there's a great book out on the market right now by a man called David Sachs, uh, who spent some time at the factory in 2015 talking to Nikola uh, about, um, you know, the, the future plans and um, sort of the resurgence of analog things in general. 
And uh, his book is called The Revenge of Analog. It's a great read. And a lot of it is actually about uh, his time at Ferrania. Uh, so we have our website that you can read. We have David Sachs's Revenge of Analog that you can read. Um, a lot of reading, I understand, which is not <laughs> maybe everyone's favorite pastime. But uh, it, it's there. And I do think it makes a good story. It might not make a really fantastic movie. But uh, as, as a story, it, it, it reads quite well. Um, All right. That's fantastic. Um, right, once again, uh, thank you very much, Dave. Um, uh, You're yeah, very welcome. To, uh, to, to close the show then, uh, which will be somewhat of an anticlimax after this conversation, uh, you can get a hold of us at the Sunny 16 podcast too uh, on Instagram, Twitter, Flickr and Gmail. Uh, thank you to uh, Chris at pixelatedphotographer.com for tech support and the hosting uh, to Bill for the show notes uh, which Graham will post one day and to Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com for uh, the uh, music that we use uh, through a Creative Commons license um, uh, awesome show everybody um, uh, again uh, I struggle to close the show most weeks uh, I'm struggling, struggling even more today um, we will be back with you all next week and uh, look forward to talking to you then goodbye bye bye You know, I get the impression sometimes from some people that they think that our factory is basically a big empty building that has a giant oversized comically large spigot on the wall. And, and all you have to do is you get up there and you turn that spigot and all the film in the world comes out. Is that not what it is? You know, color, black and white, <laughs> four by five, eight by ten. Uh, you know, all just comes pouring out Willy Wonka style and and flows through a river of film that you can take a boat ride through and then goes into a giant spinny room and 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 then it magically appears in your mailbox after you pay for it.